The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Radio listeners in Radio Listener Land, this is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. (laughs) Hey there, Radio Land. You're listening to In Tune. With Ellie and Arnold. With Ellie and Arnold. Oh, no, 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 with Arnold and Ellie. Well, you know, well, that's... As long as they know who we are. I I was going to say age before beauty, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Or alphabetical. There you go, okay. Ladies first, though. See, you are such a gentleman. Well, you know, there is some good things to being kind and polite and gentle... In the world. It is true. And we look forward to men that are kind and gentle and know that when they walk with their lady, they should walk on the outside of the sidewalk in case the car jumps the curb. Then they get hit first. <laughs> that's right. Or they get splashed with water first. <laughs> that's right. You know, you're listening to In Tune to our weekly broadcast, which focuses and reflects on issues that impact and connects our community in the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. I want to give you all a an understanding of what we're going to do today. We are going to be celebrating the 90th birthday of Martin Luther King Jr., and if he was alive, he would be 90 years old. Uh, he, he, his birthday was previously, uh, early a couple days ago. Exactly. But what we're going to be doing is uh, playing some speeches that maybe you have not heard before. You, I know we're all familiar with the I Have a Dream speech and several other speeches, but we have a couple speeches that I've researched and dug up and have found that they are very, very insightful, very broad in an understanding of what he was dealing with at the time, but he gets very specific on some uh, particulars. In the second hour, we have Faith Morris, who's the Chief Marketing and External Affairs Officer from the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, and she is going to be speaking with us about that museum. That museum is housed at the site of the Lorraine Motel, which is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And it is an extremely uh, great museum. If you have a chance to go down to Memphis, Memphis is not far, just straight down 55. It's uh, really close off the highway where this is located. Great museum. I encourage people to go down there. We're going to talk to Faith Morris in the second hour, so please stay tuned to uh, all of what we've got going on here. And if you miss anything today, you can go to iTunes or go to SoundCloud and pick up some of our previous shows or this show. Just plug in KWRH in tune, and you can find us. And Arnold, you were telling me that as you look at the results of people listening to Intune, you actually have an international following. We do have an international following. I think it's like 40 countries right now. Are listening to what's going on right here in little old Webster Grove. In little huh? old Webster Grove. So we have listener land is international. It is. It's bigger than what we thought. Yes. So thank you for that. Yes. We have uh, several clips that we're going to be playing. So we're not going to talk 
a lot this hour. We may reflect on some of the things that we're going to hear. There is one speech that I dug up, and I'm trying to, trying to do these a little in chronological order, but it's going to be a little difficult. And this first one is called The Purpose of Education, and it's a Morehouse College student paper in the Maroon Tiger in 1947. And this is by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So it's entitled The Purpose of Education. And I'm going to read this because it's very important. Education is uh, what many believe is a way out or a way out of poverty. It's, it's a way to improve yourself. Education does not have to take the form of, of college. It could be trade school. Education is life. If you're not paying attention in life, you may not get an education. So listen to what he says here, and he really calls out teachers, and he calls out uh, other educators about their role. So this is The Purpose of Education by Martin Luther King from the Morehouse College student paper, The Maroon Tiger, in 1947. As I engage in these so-called bull sessions around and about the school, I too often find that most college men have a misconception of the purpose of education. Most of the brethren think that education should equip them with the proper instruments of exploitation so that they can forever trample over the masses. Still others think that education should furnish them with noble ends rather than means to an end. It seems to me that education has a twofold function to perform in the life of a man and in society. The one is utility and the other is culture. Education must enable a man to become more efficient, to achieve with increasing facility the legitimate goals of his life. Education must also train one for quick, resolute, and effective thinking. To think incisively and to think for oneself is very difficult. We are prone to let our mental life become invaded by legions of half-truths, prejudices, and propaganda. At this point, I often wonder whether or not education is fulfilling its purpose. A great majority of the so-called educated people do not think logically and scientifically. Even the press, the classroom, the platform, and the pulpit in many instances do not give us objective and unbiased truths. To save man from the morass of propaganda, in my opinion, is one of the chief aims of education. Education must enable one to sift and weigh evidence, to discern the true from the false, the real from the unreal, and the facts from the fiction. The function of education, therefore, is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. But education which stops with efficiency may prove the greatest menace to society. The most dangerous criminal may be the man gifted with reason, but with no morals. The late Eugene Talmadge, in my opinion, possessed one of the better minds of Georgia or even America. Moreover, he wore the Phi Beta Kappa key. By all measuring rods, Mr. Talmadge could think critically and intensively. Yet he contends that I am an inferior being. Are those the types of men we call educated? We must remember that intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. The complete education gives one not only power of concentration, but worthy objectives upon which to concentrate. The broad education will, therefore, transmit to one not only the accumulated knowledge of the race, but also the accumulated experience of social living. If we are not careful, our colleges will produce a group of closed-minded, unscientific, illogical propagandists consumed with immoral acts. Be careful, brethren. Be careful, teachers. 
and that was in 1947. That blew me away. When that I read is this. like somebody wrote this for today. I, you know, and and especially that last part. Yeah, I, I really like where he's talking about. It's just not about thinking. Uh, effectively and decisively and critically, but you have to have a moral balance with your intellect. Exactly. And and I thought it was so interesting where he talks about education must enable a man to become more efficient, to achieve with increasing facility the legitimate goals of his life. And it says to be efficient, where many people think that the purpose of education is to become more prosperous to make more money. But as it's saying here, you may have all of those qualities and abilities, but you may have no morals. You're, if you're amoral right. and you're using that in order to further your cause, then you are misusing your education. Well, and I'll, I'll talk about this point that you just brought up, Ellie, because many times in schools we've, we've told kids, hey, follow, you know, you're important you know, the self-concept movement, you, that's are, right. you are the yes. one that's important. And so when, and we've taught that in the Ivy League schools, so when kids get out into the world of Wall Street and they do some of their, quote unquote, I'm following my own lead, my own immorality, then we we throw the book at them because they've done things against the law. Exactly. But we've taught them to do that. To do that. It says here, education must enable one to sift and weigh evidence to discern the true from the false, the real from the unreal, and the facts from the fiction. And when, and especially as he, he mentioned media as one of the first uh, areas in which we need to be able to, be, to have discernment. And aren't we listening to that exact same thing now? Now that we have, and this was written before the rise of social media and all of the, the multiple ways that we could get information. Before the rise of television. That's right, exactly. And at a time when he's still questioning the legitimacy of media. At, and look where we are now. I mean, the stuff that you read now changes minute by minute. And it's supposed to, so it's like, depends on when you read it. That's the truth that you gain. And then how often do people then just go right off with that? One thought, whatever whatever fits their particular worldview, and then they run with it. And it's exactly, the closed-minded, this last uh, sentence, if we're not careful, our colleges will produce a group of closed-minded, unscientific, illogical propagandists consumed with immoral acts. So we do have closed-minded people. Because it is just, you know, my way or the highway kind of deal. They're, they're not, uh, when you say research, research means, well, that's my opinion. Research to me is research. You exactly. go back and you find out whether, uh, what percentage of it was correct. Uh, what was, was it scientific kind of evidence? Right, it's not Wikipedia. Yeah, <laughs> it's illogical not... propagandist. You know, we, exactly. we've heard about that with Facebook and, and all the involvement of people skewing people's thoughts, consumed with immoral acts. You know, the internet is just profuse with immorality. Right. As a matter of fact, remember that right now with the GoFundMe, with the with the uh, guy that had the GoFundMe propaganda is really what it was, to build the wall, and he got millions of dollars in, but the thing of it is is they didn't realize that he is an immoral person and he's just gaining the money for himself, but he's using the catchphrase, we're going to build the wall. And so therefore, people that aren't thinking, aren't researching, they're only acting from emotion, have given to it. And now guess what? GoFundMe is returning all of that because they found out that the guy was really just using it for his own purposes. Well, there, there's the couple that had, uh, I guess they... The homeless guy that they were collecting money for. Homeless guy that collected money for. it was a scam. For, it was a scam. $400,000. 
It's crazy. Imagine, and you know, the thing is, I look at stuff like that and I look at what I call uh, ridiculousness and how money flows towards ridiculousness. And so many nonprofits that are doing the right thing, doing good for people, you know, like us, we struggle to get a dime in the door. But let's put something up there that is ridiculousness, you know, and the world, but you know, we were taught that in the Bible. It says the world is going to wonder after, you know, ridiculousness. Well, and that's, those are going to piggyback off that because many of the things uh, Dr. King talks about in his speeches have a scriptural basis. They He, he really inter, interweaves uh, scriptural references. He, he interweaves stories. He interweaves uh, Bible verses or themes. Matter of fact, one theme that we're going to hear, and probably in the, in the second half hour after the break, is this theme of justice and mercy. And I wanted to, to read a little bit about in kindness. This is from uh, Zechariah chapter 7. It says, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. He uses those kinds of phrases to push people to understand that this whole thing about racism, this whole thing about color is... A, an injustice that was being done at that time. Why can't we eat? Why can't we sit in the front of the bus? Why can't we eat at the counter with other people? Why can't we go into the, the movie theater? The restrooms. Well, the restroom. Why do we have like the same hotel, the same swimming pool? All those kinds exactly, of things. Exactly, exactly. And, and I myself have been a victim of that, traveling you know, across the country as we did, ran into situations where people just would not, even at a gas station, would not allow us to use the bathroom. You know, and those kinds of things, we, as a white man, you don't necessarily pick up. Right. Because it didn't affect me negatively, you know. Those things didn't happen to me. So I want to play a and, clip. And just to say that, a lot of people say, it didn't happen to me, so therefore it didn't exist. It didn't exist. And that's a great point because he's going to be talking about some of this in some of our other clips here that we're going to be playing. But this particular clip, he's, he's talking to his daughter, Yolanda, and she's the eldest, and she actually passed away in 2007. He's talking to her about racism. So here you have the preeminent front-runner of changing the culture on racism who's trying to talk to his daughter about racism. When I, when I heard this, and I, he almost broke down on this, when I heard this, I was like, oh my gosh. So let's listen. This is Martin Luther King talking to his daughter Yolanda about racism. My little daughter loves to ride to the airport with me. She says to me so often, Daddy, you just go over and over and over again. And so one of the ways she consoles herself in the fact that her daddy has to be away so much is to ride to the airport whenever I'm going in or coming back into town or going out of town. And she can do it if she isn't in school. And as we pass on the expressway going to the airport in Atlanta, we pass by what is known as Fun Town. Now, this is an amusement center where little children go to play and where they go for recreation, something like Disneyland and something like the very fine amusement centers across the country for young people. And as we pass 
fun town so often in the car, she would look over to me and say, Daddy, I want to go to fun town. Well, I could always evade the question when we were going by in the automobile because we were passing by and I could jump to another subject. And I didn't want to have to tell my little daughter that she couldn't go to fun town because of the color of her skin. But then the other day we were at home and like most children, she likes to look at television, and she was looking at television, and they were advertising Fun Town, and she ran downstairs and said, Daddy, you know I've been telling you I want to go to Fun Town, and, and they were just talking about Fun Town on the television, and I want you to take me to Fun Town. And oh, I stood there speechless. How could I explain to a little six-year-old girl that she couldn't go to Fun Town because she was colored? I had been speaking across the country talking about segregation and discrimination, and I thought I could answer most of the questions that came up, but I was speechless for the moment. I didn't know how to explain it. And then I said to myself, I've got to face this problem once and for all. And I took a and called over, and my wife was sitting on the other side of the table, and I took the, my little daughter and told her to have a seat on my knees. And she jumped up in my lap, and I looked at her and I said, Yolanda, we have a problem. I said, you know, some people don't do the right things, and they are misguided. And so they have developed a system where white people go certain places and colored people go certain places. And I said they have fun town like that so that they don't allow colored children to go to fun town. And then I looked at it at that point because I didn't want her to develop a sense of bitterness. I didn't want her to grow up with a sense of hatred and bitterness in her heart. And so I had to rush on and say, but now all white people aren't like this. There are some white people right here in Atlanta who would like for you to go to Fun Town. And there are some all over the country who are right on this issue. Still there are those who have been misguided. And then I looked down into her eyes. And I said to her at that point, and I saw tears flowing from my eyes at that point, I said, Yoki, even though you can't go to Fun Town, I want you to know that you are as good as anybody who goes into Fun Town. <laughs> and I want you to know, Yoki, that some of us I'm working hard every day to get Fun Town open and to get many other places open. And I say to you that in the not too distant future, Fun Town and every other town will be open to all of God's children because we're going to work for it. Now, that's really an important statement that he made. You are as good as anyone to go to Fun Town, and sometime it's going to be open to everybody. And that was, you know, his daughter, I think, was um, five or six at the time. I believe she was born in 47, if I'm not mistaken. But those kinds of things, he's out there 
fighting the battle, leading, leading the charge, talking to people, giving speeches, having marches, having uh, nonviolent demonstrations, and now he has to go back and talk to his daughter about why she can't go to an amusement park that she drives by that they have commercials for on the television and on the radio, and she wants to go, and he has to explain to her that she can't go because of the color of her skin. It kind of almost says that fun is not meant for everyone. Exactly. Only fun could be for cute little white girls, but not cute black girls. Right. And, and so what does that even do psychologically? Because now it's almost saying that the certain things that people just enjoy just as a point of being a person, a human, are you know not parceled out equally. And, and that is so harmful. That's harmful psychologically, emotionally, because then you begin to think that the things that are normal human actions aren't meant for you. How, how devastating. And to think that our country could look at that and not realize that you're going to create situations that will harm all of society. We're all here in this country together. You can't do one thing to one group of people and expect it to not impact other groups of people. You know, I almost wish we had like three hours today because I have a I have a, a clip that's called The Other America, and it's actually too long for us to do right at this point. But I, I was saving that for uh, when we commemorate the time of his assassination. I will play that because you have to understand, folks out there in listener land, that this particular kind of issue is something, you know, when, when people are born, I, I saw a poster, when people are born, you're not born to being prejudiced. You're not born being racist. You're not born hating other people. These are things that are learned. These are things that are observed. Exactly. And they are observed overtly and covertly. They are heard overtly and covertly. So you can see racism, you can see prejudice, you can see hate in action, or you can hear it in action firsthand. You can be a giver of it, or you can be a recipient of it. And the point is, what does that do to an individual's self-worth who dispenses that kind of stuff? What does that do to an individual's self-worth who receives that kind of stuff? And he talks about a lot of that in that speech called The Other America. Matter of fact, in the second half of this hour, after our break, which is coming up in a few minutes, folks, you need to listen to this one. It's called Rise Up and Say, I Am Somebody. And he's speaking that to some students. Last year at this time, we played a, uh, the, the Life's Blueprint, which he gave to middle school students in, in Pennsylvania. This one he gave to some students in Cleveland, Ohio. And it's very, very important Kids are at an age where they hear things from the culture. They see things in the culture. And where do they see them from? They see them from the media. And what did he say about the media in that Purpose of Education speech? What did he say about teachers? What did he say about education? He said, you need to be able to think, uh, to have quick, resolute, effective thinking. You need to be able to think critically. But you also need to have a moral basis that goes along with that, which weaves together with that, that helps you understand. Just being an intelligent person doesn't mean you're a moral person. That's right. And it co especially in today's culture, when it's so easy to forward you know, something, share something. You read it and you go, oh, oh, so-and-so did such-and-such. You know, click, let me send it off to 10 friends. 
you haven't even determined whether or not it's true or not. And so for then you to continue to share that information means that you are part of the lie chain, you know, and we're so quick to want to share bad news. You know, we're so quick to, you know, it's just interesting. I was reading an email just a moment before we came on the show and it was a local email from a pastor who was saying to churches, you know, we we need funds for the Martin Luther King event this weekend. Um, I sent out this email blast and it was roundly overlooked, you know, and you think about here's something that's for good, that's coming up, that's local, that's community. And the, the, you know, it doesn't seem like the interest or the acceptance is there, but boy, let us put down here that Meghan Markle said something or Samantha Markle said something about Meghan Markle <laughs> and it goes, it goes viral. You know, I, I get insulted when I have people on the, in the media, when I'm watching or listening or reading and they're telling me how I need to think. Yes. I don't listen to them, I don't watch them, and I don't read them then. I want people to give me information and let me make the decision on what I think is going on. Because I like to listen to a lot of different kinds of viewpoints. I like to because I'm an intelligent person with morality, as he is saying here. So folks, we want you to uh, keep tuned to Intune. We're, we're celebrating uh, the 90th birthday of Martin Luther King. He would have been 90 on January 15th. He was born January 15th, 1929, and he passed away through assassination on April 4th of 1968. So we're celebrating his birthday today by listening to some of his uh, not well-known speeches. I'm not going to say unknown, but not well-known speeches, and talking about some of the issues that relate to that. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. been talking about the 90th birthday celebration of Martin Luther King, and we've been listening to uh, some of his speeches. I read The Purpose of Education, which he uh, wrote in 1947 and talked about how intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the true goal, that is the goal of true education. The complete education gives one not only power of concentration, but worthy objectives upon which to concentrate. Off the air, we were talking about how Media, and I'm not bashing media, but I'm going to bash media. So (laughs) how about that one? Yeah. That's a double talk. That is a double talk. So this media person says, you know, when I listen to something or watch something or read something, I don't want to be entertained unless I'm looking for entertainment. If I'm looking for news, if I'm looking for information about things that are going on locally, uh, statewide, nationally, or internationally, I want information. So I can process that because I got a great education. I was taught to think critically with morality and balance those two out, and I can make some judgments and decisions for myself and wrap all that with my experience. I don't want to be informed uh, about 
the Kardashians. I don't care. What? I'm, it's not entertainment. It's you don't not, care that Kim has bangs? I don't care whether Kim has hair or not. <laughs> oh, I think that's just a personal bias it, you it, have there. <laughs> it's not infotainment that I want. I want information. So I can make a judgment. I can make some decisions about what I believe. I, I'm always appalled when I see the headlines, you know, and, and think about... People clicking on on something, you know, like why does why does Meghan Markle hold her tummy? Well, because she's pregnant. Yeah, I've seen a lot of pregnant women <laughs> hold right. their tummy. But is that headline news? Well, it's only headline because it's Meghan Markle. And to me, that is absolutely ridiculous. You think about all the good that people are doing all over the world, but what do we? What does the news lead with? The bad. Oh, so got shot. Somebody, somebody over, somebody, a prominent overdose. Somebody did this. Somebody bankrupt. Somebody, you know, it's well, ridiculous. It's not about, it's, that doesn't give good ratings, though, Ellie. <sighs> it doesn't make me tune in. It doesn't make me click on the internet. It doesn't make me forward that story on Facebook or because Twitter. Because everything is about the clicks and the ratings. It's, it's not about, about the information. It's about my moment in the sun or my 15 seconds of fame. If I can get at least 16 seconds or 17 seconds, maybe I could push this to 25 seconds of fame. Or maybe I could even get some followers so I can have actually several minutes or hours of fame. Yeah, and and don't forget that those clicks on the internet also, um, they translate into sponsor dollars. So all that garbage, that ridiculousness that people flock to is making money for the people that are doing it. So, you know, the Cardassians, every time you click on something, guess what? They're they're being paid. It's about it's about money and power. But here's, here's something about power that Martin Luther King talked about. He talked about love and power. And love and power, this is very, very interesting. We may play this twice. Let's listen to it the first time. It's very brief, so stay tuned. What happened is that some of our philosophers got off base. And one of the great problems of history is that the concepts of love and power have usually been contrasted as opposites, polar opposites, so that love is identified with a resignation of power and power with a denial of love. It was this misinterpretation that caused uh, the philosopher Nietzsche, who is the philosopher of the will to power, to reject the Christian concept of love. It was the same misinterpretation which induced Christian theologians to reject Nietzsche's philosophy of the will to power in the name of the Christian idea of love. Now we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love, implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. Again, it said power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. Well, keep in mind that even one of the first statements that he said, where, where he said it was the same misrepresentation which induced Christian theologians to reject the Nietzschean philosophy of the will to power in the name of the Christian idea of love. Now, you know, right there, he lost a whole bunch of people. Okay. 
You know, think about that. He's speak. He's right speaking this in a time where you know most people would not have really had a key of an understanding of what he is saying there. He was so far advanced in his knowledge and his understanding and the use of words to ingest what he's trying to say. Well, some people today don't have a clue what he's saying either. That's right. Exactly. And so when we think about the fact that how long ago this was being stated, and you heard the response from the audience, so the audience was resonating with these words. We haven't heard words like this coming out of anywhere. This is a balance between a his his biblical background and his social interaction as on a personal level. That's right. But keep in mind that this was a man who could speak this kind of power, but couldn't sit in the front of the bus. Right. Couldn't sit at a counter. You know, couldn't go to the couldn't movie go house. to the movie house. Could have his daughter go to Fun, fun Town. If you if you don't know what we're talking about, folks, you have to listen to our previous half hour. Catch us on iTunes or SoundCloud. We're listening to uh, some clips from Martin Luther King. This next one is a speech that he gave in Cleveland. And all of these, all of these weave together. I'm not doing these in a dysfunctional or uh, a manner in which they, they are not intertwined. This is one he gave a speech in 1967 to Glenville High School. And he had uh, spoken at three East Side schools, Glenville, Addison Junior High, and East Tech, and the Cleveland Job Corps Center for Women that day. And this particular, he was, he was asked to investigate Cleveland's racial problems and suggest some possible solutions because there had been some riots there in the previous summertime. This is a very insightful speech. It's a great speech for uh, kids to listen to. So if you uh, want them to listen to it, you can check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud. So we're going to listen to Martin Luther King Jr., on April 26, 1967, speaking to some high school students at Glenville High School. And to say how very delighted I am to be here this morning and to have the great privilege and opportunity of sharing with you and being with you here in the city of Cleveland. I never feel like a stranger when I come to Cleveland because I have uh, so many dear friends here in the ministry and in the community. And so I always look forward to coming to Cleveland with great and eager anticipation. I certainly want to thank the administration for the opportunity and I want to thank uh, Miss Williams for those very kind words of introduction. As she was introducing me, I felt something like the old maid who had never been married. And one day she went to work and the lady for whom she worked said, uh, Anne, I hear that you're getting married. She said, no, I'm not getting married, but thank God for the rumor. And uh, I... Uh, as I listened to Miss Williams, I said to myself, all of these wonderful things that she said about me can't be true, but thank God for the rumor. Now I'm sure that each of you is aware of the problems that we confront in our nation, the problems that we confront in the world, 
the problem that we as a people confront in all of our communities all over the United States of America. It was Victor Hugo who said on one occasion that there is nothing more powerful in all the world than an idea whose time has come. And I want to assure you today that the idea whose time has come in our day, in our generation, is the idea of freedom and human dignity. Wherever people are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, or whether they are in Jackson, Mississippi, Atlanta, Georgia, New York City, or Cleveland, Ohio, the cry is always the same. We want to be free. And I would like to suggest some of the things that you must do and some of the things that all of us must do in order to be truly free. Now the first thing that we must do is to develop within ourselves a deep sense of somebodyness. Don't let anybody make you feel that you are nobody. Because the minute one feels that way, he is incapable of rising to his full maturity as a person. You know, a lot of people have segregated minds, and one of the first things that the Negro must do is to desegregate his mind. I remember when I was growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, I had to go to high school on the other side of town. At that time, it was the only high school for Negroes in the whole city of Atlanta, the Booker T. Washington House High School. When I was a student there, we had 7,000 students in that one school. I guess that's the reason I can't read too well now, because the teacher had to spend all the time getting the class in order and disciplining the class because it was so overcrowded. But anyway, we had to pass by all of these uh, schools, white schools, to get to the Booker Washington High School, and I had to ride the bus from home every morning to the other side of town. And fortunately, I had parents who taught me from the very beginning that I was somebody and that I should never feel inferior, and they taught all of us that, and that we should feel that we are as good as any other children. And I remember day after day getting on that bus. It was a segregated bus. Negroes had to sit in the back. And often uh, we had to stand over empty seats because the seats up at the front were reserved for whites only. And I started getting on that bus going across town. And every time I got on the bus, even though I found myself having to take my body back to the back of the bus, I always left my mind on the front seat. And I said to myself, one of these days, I'm going to put my body up there where my mind is. <laughs> now, this is all I'm saying this morning, that we must feel that we count, that we belong, that we are persons, that we are children of the living God. And it means that we go down in our soul and find that somebodyness. And we must never again 
be ashamed of ourselves. We must never be ashamed of our heritage. We must not be ashamed of the color of our skins. Black is as beautiful as any color, and we must believe it. And so every black person in this country must rise up and say, I'm somebody. I have a rich, proud, and noble history, however painful and exploited it has been. I am black, but I'm black and beautiful. And we must come to you. And so we must be able to cry out with the eloquent poet, fleecy locks and black complexion cannot forfeit nature's claim. Skin may differ, but affection dwells in black and white the same. If I were so tall as to reach the pole or to grasp the ocean at a span, I must be measured by my soul. The mind is a standard of the man, and we must believe this firmly and live by it. Now the second thing I want to suggest is this that we must make full and constructive use of the freedom we already possess. We must not wait for the day of full emancipation before we set out to achieve certain basic developments in our lives. Now I know the problems here, and I'm not unmindful of the fact that through segregation and discrimination, Many of us have been scarred. Many have lost motivation. But I think it is safe to say that that is a host of young people in the Negro community who can brilliantly apply themselves and thereby make full and constructive use of the freedom we already possess. This means that we must set out to achieve excellence in our various fields of endeavor. Now, this means that we've got to study hard, we've got to stay in school. Again, I know the social problems that cause many Negroes to drop out of school, but I urge you today to develop that rugged determination. Stay in school, stick with it to the end. It may be that you will have to work harder than other people, but don't mind that. Go on and do it anyhow. It was Longfellow who said, the heights of great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. And I urge you today to realize that doors of opportunities are opening now that were not open to our mothers and our fathers. And the great challenge facing each of you today is to be ready to enter these doors as they open. Ralph Waldo Emerson said on one occasion that if a man can write a better book or preach a better sermon or make a better mousetrap than his neighbor, even if he builds his house in the woods, the world will make a beaten path to his door. That hadn't always been true, but it will be increasingly true. And so set out to do a good job and do that job so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. And let me say that we've got to prepare now to compete with people. Many of our parents have been so scarred by years of denial and neglect 
that they cannot face the same challenges that we face. But I say to you that you have the opportunity to assert certain things. Get ready to compete with people. Don't set out merely to do a good Negro job. If you're setting out one day to be a good Negro doctor, or a good Negro lawyer, or a good Negro school teacher, or a good a Negro preacher, or a good Negro skilled laborer, a good Negro barber, a beautician, you have already flunked your matriculation exam for entrance into the University of Integration. Set out to do a good job and do that job so well that nobody can do it any better if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper. Street, uh, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept the job well. This is what Douglas Malloch meant when he said, if you can't be a pine on the top of the hill, be a scrub in the valley. But be the best little scrub on the side of the reel. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. It isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. Now the final thing I want to say is this, that if we are going to achieve freedom, we've got to engage in action programs to make that freedom possible. Let nobody fool you about this. Freedom is never voluntarily given to the oppressed by the oppressor. It must be demanded. And I say to you this morning that this will be necessary all over the United States of America. But as I say this, let me give a warning signal that we must work passionately and unrelentingly for first-class citizenship, but we must never use second-class methods to gain it. We've got to get smart. We've got to organize. We've got to organize so effectively and so well and engage in such powerful, creative protest that there will not be a power in the world that can stop us and that can afford to ignore us. Our power does not lie in Molotov cocktails. Our power does not lie in bricks and stones. Our power does not lie in bottles. Our power lies in our ability to unite around concrete programs. Our power lies in our ability to say nonviolently that we aren't going to take it any longer. You see, the chief problem with a riot is that it can always be halted by superior force. But I know another weapon that the National Guard can't stop. They tried to stop it in Mississippi. They tried to stop it in Alabama. But we had a power that Bull Connor's fire hoses couldn't put out. It was a fire within. And I say that we can have that same kind of fire all over the United States of America. And we can transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows through this method. And so I come to you today and urge you to work in the civil rights movement, to join the civil rights organizations, to give of your time and your activity when you have spare time, 
in community action. One of the things that we need in every city is political power. Enough of our parents don't register and vote. Each of you should serve as a committee of one to work with your parents if they have not registered to vote and other people in the community. Cleveland, Ohio is a city that can be the first city of major size in the United States to have a black mayor and you should participate in making that a possibility. This is an opportunity for you. So there are things that all of us can do, and I urge you to do it with zeal and with vigor. And let me say to you, my friends, that in spite of the difficult days ahead, the so-called white backlash, which is nothing but a new name for an old phenomenon, I'm still convinced that we are going to achieve freedom right here in America. And I believe this because however much America has strayed away from the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the goal of America is freedom. Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up with the destiny of America. Before the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before Jefferson etched across the pages of history, the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. Before the beautiful words of the Star Spangled Banner were written, we were here. And for more than two centuries, our forebears labored here without wages. They made cotton king. And they built the homes of their masters in the midst of the most humiliating and oppressive conditions. And yet out of a bottomless vitality, they continued to grow and develop. And I say to you this morning that if the inexpressible cruelties of slavery couldn't stop us, the opposition that we now face will surely fail. We're going to win our freedom because both the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied in our echoing demands. And so I say, let us keep moving. Let us move on toward the goal of brotherhood, toward the goal of personal fulfillment, toward the goal of a society undergirded by justice. And I close by quoting a beautiful little poem from the pen of Langston Hughes, where he has a mother talking to a son with ungrammatical profundity, that mother says, Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal staff. It's had tax in it. Boards torn up places with no carpet on the floor bare. But all the time I've been a-climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So, boy, don't you stop now. Don't you sit down on the steps cause you finds this kind of hard. For I'm still going, boy, I'm still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Well, life for none of us has been a crystal stair, but we must keep moving. We must keep going. And so if you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. That was Martin Luther King Jr. speaking to Glenview High School on April 26, 1967 in Cleveland, Ohio. And that particular speech is entitled, Rise Up and Say, I Am Somebody. And that particular speech is a great speech for uh, students to listen to in school. And you know, it's interesting, the very last statement he said was, keep moving. And think about First Lady Michelle Obama's, uh, her, her overall program for the youth was, wasn't it like, let's move? 
It was the it was the keep your physical fitness. That's right, the physical thing. fitness thing. Because you know what? If you are physically fit, your body functions differently, your mind functions differently, and you are able to move when situations occur. Well, we're going to move on to our second hour here. Stay tuned to us. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP ninety two point nine FM, your community radio station in Webster Rose, Missouri. The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We're starting our second hour where we're celebrating the birthday, the 90th birthday of Martin Luther King. His birthday was January the 15th. He was born in 1929. He was assassinated and died April 4th, 1968. And the first hour, we actually played some of his speeches. I actually read one. And the theme that's going through this is justice and mercy and standing up and believing and having intelligence and morality to move and interweave the world that we come into contact with and do something to change it for uh, the better. In this second hour of In Tune, a matter of fact, let me go back. If you missed the first hour, you can catch us back on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just punch in to the search engine uh, In Tune, KWRH. Uh, radio show, and you will find us. So, Ellie, what are some uh, thoughts of yours as we uh, have uh, listened to that? Because in the second hour, we're going to be talking to Faith Morris from the National Civil Rights Museum in a little bit here. You know, as I think back on just the history of this time and, and you know, being old enough to recall what was going on, it's a time of, of sadness for me to realize that after all these years, we really have not made the strides, the gains that we would like to think. We, we, we see certain things that, yes, you know, I no longer have to ride on the back of the bus. I no longer have to do certain things that I had to do when I was younger. However, once we came into this new state of integration, and I've said this to you many times, you know, the integration was one-sided. You know, black people gave up our own identity, our own cultural things, our own, the entrepreneurships, the businesses, because we were now allowed to, to go into other areas. But, you know, to go into those other areas meant that many times we were subjected to hatred and racism, lack of service, and we were still paying our, our money and, you know, just to be there. And it was a devastating time to also realize that, you know, that whole concept of you're not as good as just was in our face. And when I went to Douglas, that was the one thing that our teachers were always working on us. They were telling us, we're not training you to be as good as, we're training you to be better than. Exactly. Because to be as good as will not be good enough. You have to be better than just to be considered as good as. 
That go- means you work extra hard, you do things, and then you still get up there and you're not respected. You're not treated equally. And if you are, then you're considered to be, oh, you're that exception. Oh, you're our token. And then that's not a good place to be either. You know, that's something he spoke about, about, you know, if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the best street Absolutely. sweeper you can be. If you're going to, whatever you're going to do, be the best that you can be. This one quote from his previous speech that we heard was, now the first thing we must do is to develop within ourselves a deep sense of somebodiness. Don't let anybody make you feel that you're a nobody, because the minute one feels that way, he is incapable of rising to his full maturity as a person. And you know, a lot of people have segregated minds, and one of the first things that the Negro must do is to desegregate his mind. That's right. Absolutely. You know, in in a book that I wrote, my first book actually that I wrote, um, one of the things I said in it was that the most important person in a corporation is the janitor. If you don't believe it, Wait until he doesn't show up. Yeah, custodian and the secretary. <laughs> That's right. Those are the people who you make make friends with. He said in his speech that we didn't play. We're going to play that uh, around the time of his in uh, his assassination in April when we remember that time. That he said, and this was a speech he gave in 1967, that. So many problems exist today, he says, it's something that's often overlooked, but Negroes generally live in worse slums today than 20 or 25 years ago. In the North, schools are more segregated today than they were in 1954 when the Supreme Court's decision on desegregation was rendered. Economically, the Negro's worse off than he was 15 and 20 years ago. This is what Martin Luther King was saying in 1967. And that echoes exactly what you're saying, is um, there, there, was a, there was a pride in the black community that I think was ripped absolutely out of the community in integration. And because, only, as you said, who integrated with that's whom? That's right, who integrated. And then to think about before, you know, when you think about um, all of the inventions that came out of the Reconstruction period, you know, many, many, many patents, many inventions, they were done by black people. They were done by people that were just coming out of slavery and that were being educated in our um, black historical universities and colleges. I mean, we had a black Wall Street burnt out, you know, by racists. We had these things already available to us and we were working them within our own groupings. But they were they were either destroyed, they were burnt out, people were lynched. I mean, you can go back and look at history. You you go and look back. East St. Louis used to be a Mecca. Right. You know, before the riots before the murders. See, these are the kinds of things that people need to understand the history. They just look at East St. Louis now and go, oh, what a a dumpy city. No, East St. Louis was a rising city. Very vibrant community. Very vibrant community. And when you meet people that come out of East St. Louis, they are well-educated, high-income people with, with plenty of sense, plenty of brains. But, you know, we only look at what has happened, the devastation that has occurred. You could go into North St. Louis. North St. Louis used to be just a a shining example of a beautiful city. And you look at it now, why? You know, because you you have, you know, you had white flight, you had um, a lot of situations that happened within the communities. You know, then St. Charles began to develop. That's why, that's why Metro doesn't go out beyond the airport because St. Charles people were afraid that black people from the city were going to come in on the Metro link and rob their homes and I guess get back on the Metro link with their big screen TV on their shoulder. Well, you, Just and, stupidity like that. Yeah, you, that you, you look at right after the Civil War from 1865 to 1875 when there was a a Civil Rights Act of 1875, you know, there was a very vibrant time for uh, black America. And those uh, individuals who were able to get into uh, Congress and, That's and, right. and the state houses and the legislatures, and then the Civil Rights Act of ni- 1875, which 
General uh, General Grant, President Grant was kind of reluctant to sign and really didn't enforce it once it was signed. And then there were several others after that. There was uh, one in, I'm trying to think of this, 19, I want to say 1957. And then, then there was one in 1964 and another one in 1967. So you have this progressive kind of civil rights acts when they're trying to enforce what the Constitution had already stated with the, the uh, 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, you know, about freeing slaves, about equal protection. So it's, it's a, you have to know your history, folks. That's the deal. You have, you have to, to under- know your history. Know it and understand it in and out and why we are in the, in the mess we are because the South didn't want stuff happening. In 1875. They didn't want the Civil Rights Act to happen. Well, we have to go all the way back, you know, to the beginning. First of all, Columbus did not discover America. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it kind of starts there. Did he he sail on three ships? You mean the the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria? Didn't that one sink the Santa Maria out on the riverfront? On the riverfront, that's right. You know, Columbus sailed up the Mississippi River? (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah, I mean, even just look right here in North Webster. When I grew up here in North Webster, when we were still uh, segregated, you know, we had stores, we had our own post office, we had police officers, we had our own speakeasy, we had our own fire department, you know, we had a school, we had everything. And then, you know, now all of a sudden we became integrated, and guess what? We don't even have that, we don't have the school. We don't have any of that anymore. Don't have a lot of the houses that used to be there. That's right. Remember when the library was being renovated up in the one on Lockwood and it was down here in North Webster. More black students came to the library when it was right here. As soon as the library was re- renovated, they shut the library down over here and moved it back up to North Webster, to, to South Webster, where I'll tell you, it is not a welcoming community. Well, it's, it's happened everywhere. Uh, we, we've talked about this disappearing black communities, you know, Kinlock, over in Brentwood. That's right. You know, over here at Meacham Park. Meacham Park. You know, so several areas around. But we're going to um, be talking to um, uh, Faith Morris. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. uh, An external affairs officer from the National Civil Rights Museum. They have a big, big celebration planned down there. And folks, if you haven't gotten down to the Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel, you really need to do that. There's a, a great deal of history back there. Uh, it's just they have a, a whole variety of things, and we're going to talk about these with, with faith. And so some several things coming up uh, this week that they're going to be celebrating. And they have a, a variety of things that include speakers or uh, book kind of authors coming on, so exhibits that change very frequently. So y- you want to try to make that trip down, 55, down to Memphis, and really enjoy the, uh, the the Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel. Matter of fact, Lorraine Motel, you know, that's the place where Martin Luther King was assassinated. Absolutely. Well, don't forget that right here on Sunday, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Community Celebration will begin with a march from Webster Grove City Hall right up there at 4 East Lockwood. Starts at 430, and it marches to Steger Givens School right over on Rock Hill. And just for the weather, a bus shuttle will take marches from Steger to the city beginning at 4. So again, this is a free dinner free opportunity to fellowship and to learn more and to celebrate as a community. And that's right here in our own community this coming Sunday. And, and what time is that again, Ellen? Uh, the march starts at 4.30 and goes over from Lockwood, from the City Hall, over to Steger. And then right after that, the program starts, say, at around uh, 5, by the time you have dinner and everything like that. So, again, 
we expect and anticipate a full audience that will remain throughout the entire program, not get up and leave once your children have performed. And that's what has happened many times in the past. By the time we get to the program, it's dwindled down. So come on, folks. Well, that's, that's very unfortunate. That's very unfortunate. So on the line, we have Faith Morris, who's the Chief Marketing and External Affairs Officer for the National Civil Rights Museum. Good, good morning, Faith. Good morning. How are you? How's it going in St. Louis? It, it's it's cloudy. We're expecting, you know, the typical kind of uh, sleet, snow, freezing rain, uh, probably that you're going to be getting. Maybe you might get more freezing rain than we do. Yeah. Hi, Faith. You know, I've always been telling Ed Johnson, who walks the, the walk that we have here, that it seems like the Sunday when we have the Martin Luther King March, it's always the worst weather ever. But guess what? We get out there and we persevere. <laughs> okay. Well, it's supposed to be cold, um, and, you know, Memphis is so funny around winter. It could be 60, it could be 40, it could be 20. We're not used to it being a whole lot less than that, uh, but it's supposed to be cold on Monday. Well, but up here it could be that all in the same day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Yes, yes. I lived in Chicago for a long time, so you guys have about the same weather as Chicago. You're, you're but, fa- um, familiar with that. Yeah, uh, uh, just... F- tell our audience here, this is uh, in tune with Arnold Stricker and Ellie Wharton, and we're talking to Faith Morris from the National Civil Rights Museum. And Faith, tell us a little bit about the uh, Martin Luther King 90th birthday celebration. You have a really big uh, King Day 2019 going on, right? Oh, it's huge, actually. Um, What we do every year is we commemorate Dr. King's birthday. Uh, On April 4th, we commemorate his death. But on the birthday celebration, and we invite all to come, it's a big family day. It is a day where we do focus on Dr. King's life and his legacy and his community service, and we encourage folks to think of him and doing good um, for families, um, for, you know, a day of service. Uh, And folks in Memphis take it very seriously, and folks travel in for it. We have some... 600 volunteers that will be with us on Monday, and and we usually have about that. I mean, they really do pre- uh, reserve that day as a day to come and give, and um, we start at 8 o'clock with um, folks will be lined up and ready to go through the museum, and, and i got to tell you also that FedEx came in this year and wanted to provide free admission to everyone. Wow. So that's a big plus. That's so, huge. you know, we usually have at least, you know, 6,000 or so folks that come for King Day. And now with this free admission with a canned good or a donation of blood, because we do have those drives going during King Day, um, that's, that's a big add and a, um, a big plus for the day. Uh, usually the admission is discounted, but it ain't free. <laughs> so it's a wonderful thing, and we appreciate FedEx for doing that, and the community um, will benefit from that, absolutely. And just so, so our... we have... No, go ahead. Go I'm on. sorry. I was well, going to say, I was just going to talk about, you know, just kind of what's going to be happening throughout the day. Absolutely. But, go ahead. That's what we want you to do. Well, yeah. So folks can, can, can tour the museum. Um, we have two buildings. One is the Lorraine. And, you know, the museum is built around the Lorraine Motel. 
some folks come uh, expecting it to be a hotel. No, it's a museum around the Lorraine Motel. So outside the facade looks much like it did in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s. Inside, it is a full museum that's a linear experience. So that's what, what our guests will be able to um, um, engage in when they're here, anytime they're here at the museum. So when people walk in, Faith, what what are the kinds of things that they will see? What kind of exhibits do you have set up to kind of uh, give some folks a, a visual in their mind? Because we've, we've encouraged people to make the trek down 55 to Memphis. It's not that far from St. Louis, and we want to encourage them and tantalize them, so give them some little visuals of what they will see and some, some uh, ideas. It starts with slavery um, because we feel that was really when everything, um, when civil rights issues were, began in America for African Americans or, or, or blacks. And we needed to start it there so folks could understand why, who, who was enslaved, where they came from, and why slavery lasted for generations, why there were, you know, so many millions that were part of, uh, that were enslaved, and it was because it was, you know, the 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 um, foundation of the economy. If slavery went away, you know, it would be a huge, huge impact on the nation's economy. So we start there, and then we go to Jim Crow. You know, after um, slavery was abolished, and you know things were looking better, Jim Crow started, and we get folks that ask, well, who was Jim Crow? Of course, it wasn't a person. It was right. a set of oppressive laws. So we go from Jim Crow, we go to Brown versus Board of Education, we go to um, Montgomery, which is where Dr. King shows up, where the Montgomery boycott, we go to... Um, um, Birmingham, which is called Bombingham, and, and Dr. King was was um, wrote one of his you know most the phenomenal letters. Um, letters from the Birmingham jail. Mm -hmm. You go from there to March on Washington, where three hundred thousand folks were fighting for freedom and jobs. Uh, Dr. King was on the podium with with so many folks, and I think one of the things that you'll learn as you go through is, we know everybody knows that top five: Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, you know. But the museum is really built on helping folks understand that there were some very ordinary people that did some phenomenal things, and they did it because they were trying to do better for their families. They were trying to make sure, you know, that things were happening, trying to register folks to vote. They were trying to, you know. So we make sure you know these people and you hear from the history maker, you know, what it was that they were doing and how it was happening. Fannie Lou, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, so many names that are just not names that folks would just know unless you get into um, the, this history. You go from March on Washington, you, you go to Selma, and you take that 50-mile that, that trek from um, Montgomery to, to Selma, and you, you see what happened along the way. It's very interactive. We have these smart boards where you can see when you go to the lunch table, um, when folks were fighting just to be able to be served. Um, and you, you see where so many other public demonstrations were happening. And folks are always surprised that it wasn't just in the South. 
Uh, it was all over, Alaska, Hawaii, you know, um, um, Seattle. I mean, it's all over north, south, east, west. Yeah, dirt in the fabric um, of our country that needed to be washed out. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. One of the things that happened in Birmingham, and it was important for us to show this, and it, it shows how smart Dr. King was, he knew that if he didn't show what was going on, that all that, and we didn't call it terrorism then, but that's what it was, would only be confined, the knowledge of it is confined to where it was, right? Mm-hmm. So he started inviting media to follow. And in Birmingham, he, um, he, there were so many cameras that projected these images. The Children's March was happening. And they put dogs and hoses and they, you know, knocked them down. They arrested them. These were babies. And those images went all over the world and folks were appalled um, and couldn't believe that this was happening in America. It also was when folks started coming to the South, people coming from all over to really help make something happen. So that was genius. To, to get those images out and let people know what had been pretty much a secret to wherever, you know, that, 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 um, that torture was going on. And, and that really um, turned, turned some of the tide on uh, public sentiment uh, and also international sentiment. And there was pressure uh, being placed on uh, D.C., Washington, to kind of change and get something, get their act together. Well, absolutely, because also as a part of the exhibit in Birmingham, it shows um, President Kennedy, who had never spoken publicly about it, not that he didn't know about it, but had never spoken publicly about it. He felt compelled and pressured to, um, to make a statement about it not being right and him sending in, you know, some help to try to, to, to get this done. Um, and Dr. King really started his thing with, um, he started with the White House. He, one of the reasons the, the Civil Rights Movement was so successful is that he knew that he needed to, it needed to be with legislators and with politicians and with policy. Um, so that's why you have so many laws that were tied to it. That's why you have these acts that, you know, the Civil Rights Act of 1954 you know, and the Civil Rights Act of 1950, the uh, Voting Rights Act of 1955. Um, there were so many different articles to that because they tried to make it stronger each time. There were so many uh, tied to the Civil Rights Act, <laughs> tied to the Civil Rights Act that, um, you know, people saw that it wasn't happening. Well, and he, uh, that's, when you, that's when Kennedy started to really kind of push for the Civil Rights Act of, of legislation that he was working on when he got assassinated. And that, exactly. that ended up, uh, you know, President Johnson actually kind of pushed through and said, you know, President Kennedy would have wanted to do this. This would be a great thing to do. And I don't know if President Johnson actually was supportive of that, he was he was Senate Majority Leader prior to that, I mean, and he was he was kind of caught between a couple different uh, uh, factions on that. Uh, so uh, you know it's interesting to to see and to read about 
and I and I look forward to getting down there and and seeing these exhibits. We always like my wife and I. We we read everything. We like to and interact with the things. And so it sounds like you've got a, a great setup going up down there. It is. It is. So you know, folks, the reason that we make uh, the museum. Um, a focal point of King Day, you know, one, it gives folks an opportunity who, you know, just haven't been through the year or are bringing big groups of children or whatever at a reduced rate to give them an opportunity to go in without having to pay the, the higher fee. Um, you know, it's free on Mondays from 3 to to closing anyway for Tennessee residents, but this is a day that anybody who is is here can come. Um, at, a, at a very reduced rate or free, you know, with the cane good. Now, Faith, can you stay so, for a little bit with us uh, over our break and pick it back up after the half hour? Are you able to do that? After the half hour, uh, yeah, and how much longer do you think? How much, uh, how much time can you give us? Because I've got a whole list of things here, like talking about some of the exhibits. I l- really love that one about uh, uh, voices of the, of the civil rights movement and then— uh, talking about some of the collections that you have and the Freedom Award that's awarded annually, and I was just okay. going crazy. If, if you've got if we the can time. Do it, if we can, well, I probably have another 10 minutes. Okay. If that's okay. That, that's okay. great. You just tell me when you, you have to leave, okay? Okay. That, that's that, good. That sounds good. Because we're talking to uh, Faith Morris, who is the uh, Chief Marketing and External Affairs Officer for the Natural Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, and that is located, that museum is uh, actually attached to the Lorraine Motel, as Faith was talking about. Uh, very interesting. They have a great website. That's If you go to the web, you can catch them at civilrightsmuseum.org, civilrightsmuseum.org, and they're going to be having the King Day 2019 celebration coming up. Uh, this is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Grove. Stay tuned. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We have Faith Morris, who is the Chief Marketing and External Affairs Officer for the National Civil Rights Museum on the air with us. And Faith, can you tell us a little bit about some of these exhibits that change uh, periodically that you have going on at the museum? Well, yeah. You know, what we do and, and what we've talked about so far were these were the permanent exhibits, those that tell the civil rights story. But we, we do so many exhibits in our changing gallery. Um, there's, there's one that's in our legacy building, which is called I Am a Child, that talks about, um, that's tied from I Am a Man, from the sanitation workers. Mm-hmm. Well, this was I Am a Child, and it has to do with the plight of these children at the southern border uh, as immigration. Um, and it was it was kind of their way of speaking out and, and, and talking about how children have been treated as a part of this whole immigration crisis. Um, we just finished with and for MLK 50, and hopefully you know that you know uh, Dr. King's 50th 
um, the 50th anniversary of his assassination right. was officially April 4th, and we really commemorated for a year and a half leading to April 4th and kind of officially have finished uh, as of the 31st um, because it was such a significant milestone. Um, but we did a MLK 50 um, exhibit that was the first one that had ever um, really delved so deeply into his his him the man, you know, starting as a young man, as a, as a you know, he was a prodigy. You know, he finished everything early, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to being the, the, the civil rights leader that he was and his family and, and Coretta. And so it was, it was a pretty, um, pretty elaborate, pretty phenomenal, uh, and it got lots and lots and lots of attention. So we just pulled that down. And now we have another one, um, but it, there's always something. What we what we try to do in those changing exhibits is to have it reflect what is relevant now. You know what's going on now, or even if it's historic, there's a, a link to it. Everything in our museum, all of our exhibits, have a contemporary um, partner. All of them. That makes sense. You know, we're still talking about education equity. Well, it wasn't called education equity in 1954 (laughs) and and through all those other times. So every movement has something going on right now that's tied to it. Slavery, human trafficking is huge, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. So just think about those kinds of things. And you have a lot of Um, speakers that come in and book an author kind of things too, right? Yes, we do. We we, we are always... um, trying to make sure that we connect our audiences with folks that are making an impact. Um, Many of them are authors. Some of them are icons. Some of them are new movement makers. Um, So that we're a lot smarter. We think that if we know better, we do better. Um, And our audience just eats it up. You know, it's a sponge, which is, is so good, because we need to know, you know, what's happening. And it's a great um, place for teachers to come down. You have some summer kinds of activities, correct? We always have. We always have. We have the Target grant where uh, Target has, has funded um, Title I schools to come for free. We have um, so many field trips that these schools are doing. We've got colleges that insist that their freshman classes come to the museum wow, so that great. they understand better about diversity and, and, and culture. Um, we've got our police departments and, you know, corporations that have really felt it a priority uh, and, and, and all the hundreds of organizations that, that we work with, but feel it's a priority that this message, that this, this education, that um, this learning opportunity be shared you know, among their um, their constituents, we have strong relationships with with legislators. We are we are apolitical. You will never hear us telling you who to vote for. That's not our business. We're heavily into policy. What we're trying to do is is find out what legislators are doing and 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 how it impacts you know our our lives, our civil rights, our human rights. Um, so there's always something going on here. 
Well, Faith, I, I really appreciate you carving out some time to speak with us today, and it's uh, a very important work that you're doing that you're a part of at the National Civil Rights Museum, and we really encourage our listeners to get down there and, and get a chance to go through that, and maybe they can uh, get down there for King Day 2019. Uh, it's not that far away from St. Louis, uh, but Faith, I, it really I really isn't. appreciate it. really isn't, and folks do drive in. They do drive in, and there's so much going on. There's a children's pavilion. There's a healthy community pavilion. There's all kinds of testings going on. There's a main stage where performances are happening, you know, from from 10 to 4. Um, so it's, it's a full day. It's a fun day. We've got um, food trucks, so you can, you know, you won't go hungry. And folks really do enjoy it. And the main thing is that we, we understand the reason for the day. Right. So it's a fun day with purpose, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Faith Morris, and, Chief and so Mark. Go ahead. It. So thank you so much. Well, I, Faith, uh, I really appreciate the time today. I don't want to... Uh, capitalize and and get i could talk to you for a, at least another 20 minutes i know Ellie's shaking her <laughs> head yeah you say, can yeah another 20 hours <laughs> well, i want really. to be re- i want to be respectful of your time though well it just happens that people i know you hear all this no i'm surprised you didn't say can you go to a better room and i'm in my office with my doors closed no we'd because- like the background it's authentic. Well, you have plenty of background noise because folks are, are busily running around getting everything ready uh, for King Day. We do this partnership with the Grizzlies, and we have this big thing that happens on Sunday where we bring in the sports legends um, and honor them. Oh, and, wow. um, so there's a lot. There's always a lot. You guys have to come. Come see us. We will do that. We, we will, will do that. definitely do that. Thank you so much. Faith Morris, Chief Marketing and External Affairs Officer for the National Civil Rights Museum. We thank you very much, Faith. Thank you. Thank you. Look Take forward care. to talking to you again. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. And you, and you know, Arnold, again, if you can't make it down there, you can certainly attend the events that we have right here, Webster Groves and Rock Hill with the 24th annual Martin Luther King celebration. That's on Sunday, January 20th, starts at 430 at City Hall. And uh, Reverend Tracy Blackman will be the speaker. And then also in Kirkwood on Monday, um, they're going to be having events there as well. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right here in our own community. And I have to give you kudos because as I'm going through our Webster Kirkwood Times, And I see that they have an ad that says the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character. That is the goal of true education. Didn't you just read that? I just read that and I didn't see the paper. Uh, That that was from the purpose of education. That's right. From uh, Morehouse College student paper that Martin Luther King wrote uh, in 1947. So you are right on top of it. And again, you know, I just want to congratulate you for doing the research and the legwork and getting this great interview. I mean, I know that people will be very much appreciative of the information that Faith Morris has shared with us. And hopefully, you know, maybe we can get a little caravan together and and go down to um, to Memphis. You know, and even if you can't get down there, uh, their website is very, very good. uh, Civilrightsmuseum.org. They have um, several videos on there. They they break out some things uh, on the uh, upcoming events. They have uh, a, a Catalyst for Change speaker, Dr. Alan Curtis, uh, Remaking Black Power, author Ashley Farmer, 
uh, and women in the civil rights movement. They have uh, some information on that. And, and again, also uh, King Day, which is uh, January 21st. But the, um, you know, the, the thing that is encouraging to me is that there's a lot of people turning out there's the, in the community of Memphis because that particular event, which, um, which was the sanitation strike, back in 1968 was a, a real pivotal point for that city. And there was, um, you know, when he got assassinated there, there was, that was a mess down there. But there was a, a march that happened uh, in his honor after that throughout the, the city. And I think there were like 10,000 participants. You see some pictures from that and some video from that. It's just pretty amazing. But to see the community of Memphis kind of begin to move together and and now what they're doing with this and having people come from all over the country to help uh, educate them and uh, in a and I would say in a moral way that's right and not just in a haphazard way like or we want you to think this way kind of thing as as faith was talking so it's I, I'm really encouraged by these kinds of museums which are portraying the good the bad and the ugly and one of the things, and, and the hist- history, because many times we have not, I will say, and I've mentioned this before, I have not gotten a lot of these things in my historical background when I was in school. And you don't find a lot of these things in textbooks or they're discarded. But we want to know what the complete history is. We right. want to know of, for everybody, for the United States, for our people. And because it really is all tied together. Yes, it is. You know, everything that we look at, you know, even when you talk about things such as westward expansion, you know, I mean, the westward expansion movement was, and this is something, again, not taught in school, you know, something that uh, blacks had a lot of of influence in, you know, because, you know, the Indians didn't look on blacks as being the enemy, like they looked on as the white settlers. So a lot of times, you know, the blacks were sent out as scouts in order to go out and kind of be the forerunners, you know, so you, you look at all these different things that, that has, have evolved and how it all ties in together. You know, the Trail of Tears. It wasn't just Indians involved in that. You know, there right. were blacks that were getting out of the South along with the Indians. Right. You know, um, there's so much of our history that has been, it has been homogenized. You know, it has been pasteurized. You That's know, a good word for and it. it has been politicized to only show certain things and certain people. You know, you don't really hear a lot about, for instance, the the crossing of the Selma Bridge, the the March on Selma. Right. Huge thing. Huge thing. And I met a man or re-met a man that I've known for years and years and years who showed me a photo of himself. He was amongst one of the the originals marching across Selma Bridge with Dr. King. He's located right behind Dr. King in the photo. Wow. Do you know that when they did the movie, King... That same man was right there as an extra marching right behind the um, John Legend, right behind Oprah, all the people that played that, the same man. But guess what? He was there and none of them were. Wow. And that just, when he gave me that photo, that just sent chills up my spine to see that. That would because, you know, that's somebody who, you know, I I like to talk to. You know, I I want to know, tell me what that was like, because I can read about that in a history book. I can can see some video of that, but it's somebody else's interpretation of the events. I want to hear from somebody who was right there. That's why when we read Dr. King's speeches, when we see them, or when we are talking to people who were at the time, who walked with him, those are firsthand accounts of, you know, when I read about Abraham Lincoln, 
I'll read his stuff, but I want to read about the people who were around him. What was he really like? And there was a really good book called They Knew Lincoln, and it was about his barber and his uh, driver and, and other people— uh, Elizabeth Keckley, who right. talked about who he really was as a person outside the quote-unquote presidential kind of person. Exactly. And uh, those are the kind of things you know that fascinate me uh, as to why individuals in history uh, does—and I mentioned this—does history make people, or do people—are they at a point of history where they—it kind of forces them to a point, and it— brings out the best in them, and they are able to shape history in a positive way. Well, remember, history is really his story, and it's to the victor goes the the spoils. And so the victor is the one who writes history, and history is written in the uh, complexion, I want to say, of the victor. Well, it's kind of like a family. Do we ever talk about the bad things that happen in a family? You mean um, like um, good old cousin so-and-so who had to go up to the south, the North Pole and play R- Rudolph? <laughs> oh, she, was, she, she won't forget that I'm one. I'm still not forgetting that one. <laughs> but Leroy you, the Redneck Leroy, Reindeer. Leroy, that's right. Leroy the Redneck Reindeer. I was I mean, wondering we don't where talk you were going about, with that. We don't talk about Leroy, do we? Well, it's the like Leroy's in families. In the family. You don't talk about, you know, so-and-so, you know, they had a child out of wedlock, and this was way back in the 1940s or something, and, oh, you know, that person, you know, what were they, a, a horse thief or something, you know, or, <laughs> you know, you, we don't talk to that side of the family. Well, why don't we talk to that side of the family? What's wrong with them? Or they have a disease or something, or... You know, are they deaf or, or they can't see or, you know, they can't get around, they don't have a car or what's the, what's the, what's the reason, you know? And so it, families are like that too. It's the good, the yes, bad, and the ugly. That's right. And if we can relate that to, expand that to, hey, that happens locally, that happens in regionally, state, regionally statewide, that happens nationally, nationally and internationally. So nobody likes to air their dirty laundry, but dirty laundry is part of living. And it's what teaches us, because we know we are taught that if we don't learn from the mistakes of our past, we will repeat them. And isn't that where we are? We continue to repeat. We continue to repeat. And we let we let the stain of racism continue, you know, and that's why we are where we are now. And the thing is, it's always just in a different group of people based on the region. You can go to California and you can look at the Chinese Exclusion Act, you know, very racist piece you know piece of policy japanese during you know, world the, the war Jap- ii that's right the japanese during world war ii you know the indians and the, and the trail of tears the blacks with um with with slavery and then you know other immigrants look at what they did to the irish you know that that were on the east coast you know then germans then everybody has had a chance at being subjected and the thing of it is is that after you come out of that subjection what have you learned and hopefully it's not been to subject the next person, you know, and now we're on the brown people coming up from, you know, through. So now they become the new colored people. And so everybody just, as I say, everybody in this country gets a turn, you know, right now it's theirs. But that doesn't make us a better country. No, it doesn't. And it, it reminds me of uh, this speech that's called The Other America that Dr. King gave. And I'm going to play that, actually, at the anniversary of his assassination. I, I, we didn't have time today. Um, but part of that was he was, he was saying that, um, you know, black people are—I'll uh, just go ahead and read this. It is said on the Statue of Liberty that America is a home of exiles. It doesn't take us long to realize that America has been the home of its white exiles from Europe. But it has— evinced the same kind of maternal care and concern for its black exiles from Africa. 
It is no wonder that in one of his sorrow songs the Negro could sing, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. What great estrangement, what great sense of rejection caused a people to emerge with such a metaphor as they looked over their lives. Well, consider one thing. Blacks that came to this country, we weren't exiles. We were kidnapped victims. That makes a big difference, and he, that's what you have to understand. We weren't immigrants. Right. We weren't exiles. Right. We didn't he, ask to come here. He, he talks about that, too, in there. He, that's he right. really gets in, in, into that, and we'll talk about that in April. Uh, but your, your thoughts on that really ring, ring strongly. Right. You know, I mean, I've heard people say, well, you all just need to go back to Africa. Well, Africa is a big continent that has 51 countries in it. Could you please tell me which one I came from? Okay. I can't believe people say those but things. But they, they do. They say it all the time. You need, but they don't, you know, again, when they talk about the continent over there, they talk about Africa like it's, uh, you know, Missouri. And you don't realize that, well, which part of Africa? There's 51 countries in Africa. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, very few people are, quote unquote, native to this country. Absolutely. You know, except they're all uh, English. Ex- yeah. Or Dutch. And again, Columbus did not discover the United States of he just, America. He just sailed the Santa Maria up the Mississippi River where it yeah, sank. Yeah, 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 exactly, because they were going to make it a, a casino, I think. <laughs> no, that's the Admiral. Oh, <laughs> it's not here either It was anymore. next to the McDonald's boat. It was next to, I remember that. And Columbus f- discovered the Big Mac? <laughs> that's why we have an arch. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, the arch should be, painted, it should be painted yellow. It's one of the golden arches. Yeah, just this is getting crazy. But I appreciate the research that you've done on this because, again, it is important for us to educate, to communicate, to evaluate, you know, so that when we look at what we're reading, that we can have it looked at legitimately and not looked at it as something that's haphazard, thrown together, misinformed. But you know what? We did a good job, and let's pat ourselves on the back for it. Well, looking at things critically, one of the things I learned in my graduate training was to ask questions. And it's not necessarily a Socratic kind of thing, but it's, it's looking for the contradictions in what's being said or what's being uh, portrayed, and why is this the way this is? So you come back to you can you can boil some things down to getting some rationale for improving something, not for saying, well, that's wrong, well, that's wrong. Because I I never like it when people say, well, that's wrong, or you should be doing this. Hey, listen, I just got one brain, I can barely think for myself. So you know, if somebody's got a better way to do it, bring it on. You know, but don't trash something unless you have a better solution for it. You know, what's the solution? And so that actually means that people need to get together and work out the solution so that it is amicable to all involved. Oh, my gosh. Do we need to send this uh, broadcast to Washington, D.C.? Well, you know, you have you you have loyal followers all over the world now, Arnold. So <laughs> you are a, a power broker. You, I don't you know realize about that. that? Yeah, well, see, you didn't realize that that was going to happen to you once you came on KWRHLP radio, did you? Well, it's—I it's, did not. It, it's wearisome to me, though, that the people who— are elected. I don't say we elect, uh, have elected, but the people who have been elected, uh, and whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you are, that they cannot make it work for the country, but are blind, have blinders on to uh, dig in and either propel their own personal agenda or their party's agenda, and rather than think of the people. 
And this is, I'm not saying this in a uh, hostile way, but this is how, this is what happened prior to 1776 to some degree. Uh, We still have taxation with representation, uh, but, you know, there are times when the government, of course, we the people are the government, but our elected officials are not listening, and they don't get the message uh, that the that the people send frequently, but I tell you what, the people, this person's uh, sick of gridlock. You know, get something done up there. If you didn't get any pay, you might want to get something done. If you could go to Washington D.C. and not get any of the benefits and not get any of the pay, would you really go? Would you go? That's or, right. Or people would go that would really actually try to accomplish something for the people in this country. Yes, absolutely. And they, you know, when I read that. Um, uh, a representative can only conserve one term and then receive the government benefits for life. What? Yeah. Two years and that's it? That's it. That's a deal. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big deal. But then you're living off the government dole, you know, and so what makes you any different than a welfare recipient? Well, it's a, probably a lot more money. <laughs> So. That check's got more yeah, zeros that's on right. it. That's right. Got a few more zeros. And guess what? Your housing is better. I bet it's your, tax-free, too. You know, and everything is better, isn't it? Oh I, I always say I want the medical coverage that those folks have. Because when I saw people like, you know, and I love Jimmy Carter, but when I saw him at 90 years old be cured of brain cancer because they use new technology and my husband was dying of cancer and we couldn't get it. When I see Ruth Ginsburg, who had pancreatic cancer, which you know that when they give you that that diagnosis, that's pretty much go home and put right. your life in order. Right. And she's still alive, bless her soul. But guess what? I want that medical attention. I want that kind of coverage. It should be the same for everyone. Exactly. And if I go and serve two years in, in the Senate or whatever, or in the Congress, and then I can come out and have that for life, man, let me let me start running for something. Well, then you can go uh, work as a lobbyist or Ew, go, on a, no. go, on a, go on a television show. Uh, <laughs> Did I say that? Did you say that? Hey, don't forget the National Civil Rights Museum, which is uh, on the backside of the Lorraine Hotel. It's kind of wrapped around. I've driven by there, and uh, I've not been there. But when you, if you're going, please plan your visit. Go to the website. Uh, they have the fees on there. And she said Mondays after 3 o'clock, I think it's, it's free. Also, if you go down for the King Day 2019, it's being paid for by FedEx. And that's a that's a huge deal. So, that's a huge deal. Yeah, civilrightsmuseum.org. So speaking about um, writing our uh, legislators or congressional people, uh, this is the 18th day of the year, and so I'm going to read the 18th quote on the return to civility, a speed of laughter project by John Sweeney, and it says, "Send a handwritten card or letter." Uh, okay. In this electronic age, a handwritten note holds more weight than ever before. Taking the time to write someone will make that person feel very special. I can tell you, when I get a note like that, it's very, very encouraging because, you know, most people don't do that anymore. Right. It it is a dying art. And they do say that, you know, when you even think about it psychologically, that is why cards are a different size and shape than a bill. You know, that comes in a different type of window envelope, maybe. But a card, you know, that's the one that you will go to first. And some of those cards are more expensive than the bills you get. (laughs) 
I heard Chris laugh in the booth back there. <laughs> Man, I tell you, when you get a when you get a Hallmark card I'm these like, years, it's like six ninety nine. Right, do not throw that card away because it yeah. cost me some bucks. Yeah, where's that recycled one that's ninety nine cents? I have to read tomorrow's because it's it's appropriate for today's. Uh, broadcast. Listen to more than one source of news. Try to get a balanced perspective on a topic before forming an opinion about it. Is that what it says? Yes, it does. Did you write that in there? I did not write that in there. My goodness. That's on page 19. That is so right on on tune. Again, don't forget that we've got wonderful celebrations happening right here in our community. Sunday, we're having uh, the march to to, um, the Steger Given School right here in Rock Hill. And a bus shuttle will take marchers from Steger to City Hall beginning at 4 o'clock so that you can you know park your car and still join the party and then you can go to the musical celebration over in kirkwood uh tickets are eight dollars you can go to www.meachampark.org so there are things happening things happening all around participate be informed share the love i don't know what else to say Get educated. Okay, get educated. Keep your moral compass focused. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. And most of all, just love someone else the way you would want to be loved. That's right. I should have played that song, The Power of Love. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you should have given Chris a little more time to put pump that one up. I've actually... Hey, I think we did that for one of the breaks. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we have... We have that as, a, as some bump music. Oh, okay. Well, we just want people to know that the purpose of our show is to continue to educate and communicate and to give people a reason to think. That's the big thing. Well, we're t- we like to talk about, uh, you know, obviously a variety of issues, but thinking is, is a thing. If we can cause you, like you said, Ellie, to, to contemplate something, to kind of chew on it and go, hmm, you know, I, either I agree with you or I don't agree with her, hmm, I think about that a little bit more, or investigate that a little bit more, or maybe check it out, you know, go to the library, catch up on that a little bit more. That's, Absolutely. That's a great thing to do. Go that to the museums. The you know, see see exactly what's happening, not only in our own community here of Webster Groves, but also in the, in the metropolitan area. Because don't forget, when the Martians invade St. Louis, there's only one race, the human race, and every one of us have different characteristics and is uniquely valuable. This is KWRHLP 92.9 FM. For Intune studio manager Chris Verdesi, co-host Ellie Wharton, I'm Arnold Stricker. We thank you for joining us today. Until next time, walk worthy and let your light shine.